Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our reading for today, our Gospel for today, ends with what, for my money, is one of the most disturbing lines in the New Testament. Jesus tells this parable, and then he says this, When the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? Jesus came to light a fire on the earth. The fire of the Holy Spirit. The fire of faith. And the fact that we exist now as a church 2,000 years later is a sign of the perdurance of that fire. But this question, which is left disturbingly open, anticipates the second coming of the Lord, the final coming of Christ. When he returns to the earth, Will he find faith? A couple disturbing facts. We are always one generation away from the extinction of the faith. The faith is caught like a contagion. I got it from my parents. My generation got it from the previous generation, and we pass it on. If we fail to pass on the faith, that's it. It can fade away in one generation. Another disturbing consideration, I think I've mentioned it to you before, there are places on this earth where the Christian faith was once very vibrant and now has ceased to exist. Think of Turkey, Asia Minor. That's a place where St. Paul himself preached, where the first, some of those earliest Christian churches were formed. St. John Chrysostom preached there. Maximus the Confessor was operative there. Now in Turkey, the Christian faith is practically non-existent. Much of the Middle East, the birthplace of the Christian faith, once had vibrant churches, great figures and saints and theologians. Now just a handful of Christians remain. Egypt, that was the home of Origen, one of the greatest Christian theologians of all time. Vibrant church in Alexandria existed. Think of the Desert Fathers up and down the desert along the Nile. Now, Christians are a teeny tiny minority in Egypt. North Africa, Cyprian of Carthage, the great martyr and bishop, and Augustine himself, arguably the most important Christian thinker of all time. There was once a vibrant Christian church in North Africa. Now it's practically non-existent. The faith can disappear. How about Western Europe right now? There are some dire predictions about the near future. This place that was the cradle of the faith in many ways for centuries, the place where missionaries went out all over the world, the continent that gave rise to Francis of Assisi and Thomas Aquinas. Now the Christian faith in Europe, well, it's threatened, certainly. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Well, the existence of the church, of course, is God's business. The inculcation of faith is God's business. But 
Brothers and sisters, it's also our business. We're also responsible. We need to cooperate with God's grace, and it's partly our task to make sure the faith perdures. About a month ago, I was part of a colloquium that met at Boston College. It was a small gathering of about 20 people. They were bishops and preachers and theologians and scholars. We had a task. We were to talk about just this issue, the handing on of the faith. All of us were invited to write papers. We all wrote these serious academic papers. We exchanged them in advance. And then at the conference, we talked. There were three major areas. Context. What's the cultural context for passing on the faith? Secondly, content. What is it that we pass on? Thirdly, communication. How do we do it? I wrote a paper on content, but I was there for the whole conference. Two days, morning, noon, and night, talking about this very important issue. Can I share with you some of the findings and insights from this uh, conversation? First of all, those who talked about context, about the cultural context. To tell you the truth, they were pretty negative. You know, I came of age in the period after the council when there was a great deal of optimism about the culture. The church reaching out to the modern world, finding all that's good and right in the modern world. Nothing wrong with that. That was an important period the church went through. But honestly, in those 40 years that have intervened between the council and now, many more people have begun to notice negative features of the culture. The way the culture is at war with the Christian church and the proclamation of the gospel. You know, the first reading for Mass today, I'm not going to focus on it except to say this, is from the book of Exodus. Amalek came and waged war against Israel. And then we hear about Moses and the Israelites battling the Amalekites. Well, that's a very standard biblical image. Israel standing, in some sense, for the church, for God's people. The Amalekites standing for all those cultural forces that stand arrayed against the church. You know, we are in a fight. We've always been in a fight from the beginning. We worship, after all, a crucified God who was put to death by cultural and political forces. So what is it in the contemporary culture that is opposed to the proclamation of the faith? Let me share one uh, kind of comical, practical thing that one of the scholars presented. He said when he goes into his classroom to teach, he notices that the kids are all there. These are the, you know, college kids, maybe in their late teens, early 20s. They're not talking to each other. They're not engaging in any kind of dialogue with each other. Rather, they're all strapped into their machines, into their iPods and into their Walkman and into their various things, listening to music, often with their eyes closed. They're shut into their own world. He took it as a kind of emblem, a symbol of what's wrong with our culture that we are a very individualist, self-regarding, self-contained culture. We have inherited something of Hobbes and Locke, that suspicion of the other, a sense of my rights and my privileges over and against you. Well, Christians, this is repugnant to a Catholic vision of the world, which is predicated upon a very communitarian sensibility, that we are connected to each other. The individualism of our culture is a problem for the proclamation of the faith. A little more deeply now, 
a lot of the scholars put their finger on what I would call the casual Nietzscheanism of our culture. Nietzsche, of course, the very influential German philosopher who said, the will to power is what matters. I determine value based upon the decision of my will. What's good is what I declare to be good. My values are mine because they flow from my will. How this has permeated the contemporary culture. You know, who are you to be imposing values on me? What's the one thing that we really observe and praise in our culture? Tolerance. You know, I got my point of view, but I tolerate your point of view. What's the one thing we find really morally repugnant? Intolerance. That we invent our own values, that we invent our own truths. Many of the scholars said this is a basic problem. Why? Because Christianity is a densely objective system. What I mean is, we propose a truth to the world. It's not my truth, not your truth, it's the truth. We propose a moral structure that doesn't flow from my will or your will, but from God's will, and that confronts us as an objective value. We propose something which is beautiful, not because I say so or you think so, but because it is beautiful. The church is opposed to this subjectivism. The church is not a projection of our values, but rather something that confronts us in its dense objectivity. We have to be aware that the subjectivism and relativism and Nietzscheanism of our culture is opposed to the faith. And listen, we must be willing, in line here with the gospel, in line with the great scriptural tradition, we must be willing to defend the objectivity of the faith over and against these cultural moves. Okay, that's a bit of the negative side. What about the positive side? What do people suggest are very good ways of passing on the faith? Can I share just a few with you? We heard the Archbishop of Boston, Sean O'Malley. He was part of the conference. He gave a wonderful talk, really, on this topic of passing on the faith. He said, we need to emphasize more strongly the beauty of the faith. See, here's his point. If we live in a culture, as I've been suggesting, that is very reactive against the imposition of truth or goodness, the beautiful might be a very good way to go. Because the beautiful is not often experienced as an imposition, but as an invitation. When something's beautiful, it just kind of naturally draws you out of yourself. You know, I love Evil and Waugh's great novel, Brideshead Revisited. I think I've told you before about this. The main character, Charles Ryder, is a skeptic, agnostic. He comes to Brideshead, which is a great manor house in the English countryside, and Brideshead in the novel symbolizes the church, because Christ said, I'm the head of my body, the church, and the church is my bride. So the Brideshead is the church. Charles Ryder comes there, and he is utterly captivated by the beauty of the house, by its artwork, by its architecture, by its splendid design. And then he's led, in the course of the book, from the beauty of the church, eventually to the goodness of the church and the truth of the church. 
but he begins with the beautiful. So, Sean O'Malley said, maybe we should emphasize, bring forward the beautiful quality of the church. Symbolism, sacraments, art, architecture, poetry, drama, the Sistine ceiling, the poetry of Dante, the sermons of John Henry Newman, the Gothic cathedrals, all the beautiful display which is part of the Catholic Church. Of course, you know some of my feelings about this. One of my complaints about the post-conciliar period is that we often beigeified our churches. We often stripped our churches precisely of this beautiful element that would be so alluring. So, lead with the beautiful. That was Sean O'Malley's point. Here's a second one that almost all the scholars emphasized. Practice, practice, practice. One of them said, in a religious tradition, it's not primarily passing on beliefs. That comes, that's essential, yes indeed. But it's primarily, it's first and foremost, the passing on of practices, things that we do, prayers, rituals, sacraments, processions, signs of the cross, putting your hand in the holy water, genuflecting, kneeling, gesturing with your body, doing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Maybe the best way we can hand on the faith is by putting the moves of the faith in the bodies of the next generation. Don't privatize the faith. Make it something interior. Rather, let it get into the body as something concretely practiced. We got to fight in our hands, Christians. We do. The culture is opposed to us in many ways. Ways, though, that we can fight with beauty and with practice and thereby hand on the faith. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? That's God's business, and it's partially our business. Let's get to work. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708 708- 449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.